Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Salini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Thanks for stopping by. Bad day in Big D for the Jets, a 30-10 loss. But as Robert Sala said, just like beating Buffalo wasn't the Super Bowl, losing to the Cowboys wasn't the apocalypse. Gotta love it. How often can you use the word apocalypse in a football podcast? We'll look back. We'll look ahead to Sunday. Not one for hyperbole, but this is the most important September game for the Jets in a long time, and I'll explain why. In the second segment, We'll be joined by former Jets defensive lineman Paul Fraze, who played in the early 1990s. Paul has a compelling story to tell, both heartbreaking and inspirational. His son Joshua was born with a rare muscle disorder and died before his 16th birthday, outliving all expectations from medical experts. Paul co-authored a book on Joshua's life. We'll talk to him about that and, of course, some memorable tales from his days with the Jets, so stay tuned for that. For now, Jets, Patriots, Sunday at MedLife Stadium. This used to be a great rivalry. The Border War, Parcells, Belichick, Curtis Martin, Spygate, Rex Ryan, the Can't Wait game. But it can't be called a rivalry anymore. Can't call it a rivalry when one team wins all the time. Patriots have won 14 in a row. The Jets' last win was December 27, 2015. Fitzpatrick to Decker in overtime. If it gets to 15, it'll tie the longest active streak in the NFL for one team against a single opponent. Right now, it's 15. Kansas City has owned Denver 15 straight. The longest in history, by the way. In the 1970s, Miami won 20 straight over the Buffalo Bills. God help the Jets if they get to that number. The Jets can't lose this game. They can't. The Patriots aren't the Patriots anymore. They're more vulnerable than ever. The Jets' roster is better, plain and simple. It was that It was that way last year, too. But the Jets, you know, Zach Wilson threw about a dozen interceptions in the first meeting. It was only three, but it sure seemed like a dozen. And they played one of the worst games ever for a quarterback in the second meeting. They lost, of course, on that walk-off punt return. So it's 14 in a row. The hoodie is in their head. How long can you let the schoolyard bully kick sand in your face? Sooner or later, you have to man up, right? If you can beat them now, if you can't beat them now, then win. Now, Garrett Wilson on the Barton Han show the other day set the tone for the week. I want you to give a listen to this. You know, it's time that that things, you know, change around around here and and um, you know, I'm, I'm I don't like talking about it too much, but, but <laughs> right. you know that's that's one of the first steps. You know, 14 straight is unacceptable. You know that's and um, that's you know that's unacceptable. We're um, you know I'm, I'm 0 2 against them. That's unacceptable. You know I inherited a, you know I walked into a 
to uh, um, a team that you know we haven't we haven't beat the Patriots and and, and I feel like that's why they brought me here and, and brought me and Sauce here and and the guys here to make things like that change. So it's it's time that we you know do what we get paid for. Yeah, it's a big game for everyone, especially Salah. He's 0-4 against Belichick. They've been outscored 111-39 to in those games. Now, look, Bill is a great coach, probably the best ever, but he doesn't have the roster anymore. The Jets are better at every position at, except quarterback, Mac Jones over Wilson, tight end, and maybe offensive line. But every time the Jets face the Patriots, they find ways to lose. And you can't play that way against the Patriots. You have to let them make the killer mistake. Salah can't lose this one. That won't sit well with the fan base or the owner who has invested a lot of money in this team. The Jets have the third highest cash payroll at $276 million, according to Over the Cap. Now, the Patriots, they are hungry and desperate. They are 0-2 for the first time since 2001. And Jet fans will remember that game. The Jets dropped them to 0-2 with the Mo Lewis game when he took out Bledsoe and in came Brady. Can't forget that moment in history. Belichick will have him ready, and you know he will come up with a wrinkle or two for Zach Wilson. He owns Wilson. He's had some, some really horrid games against these Patriots. So it's a big game for him, too. He needs to quiet the noise about the Jets going out and getting another quarterback since Rodgers has been injured. Now, Wilson didn't play a great game in Dallas, but it wasn't awful, and he wasn't the reason they lost. For four, for three quarters, he was like the early 22 Zach. You know, managing the game, no big mistakes. You can win with that, Zach, if everything else is functioning. And make no mistake, everything else was not functioning. The defense was just a big disappointment in this game. 85 Bears, give me a break. This looked more like the 85 Falcons. And by the way, so you don't have to look it up, the 85 Falcons gave up the most points in the league that year. Um, You know, Dak Prescott killed them with the quick game. He averaged only 4.8 air yards per attempt. That is a dink and dunk special. The Jets, when something like that happens, you have to adjust. Now, the Jets' defense is predicated on eliminating explosive plays. Okay, fine. That philosophy works. Obviously, last year they had good success with it. But if it ain't working in the game, you have to change. You have to change on the fly. You got to trust your corners. You got two good ones in Gardner and Reed. You play them tighter. You blitz a little to try to disrupt Prescott's rhythm. The Jets only blitzed on three of 13 third down dropbacks. They got virtually no pressure on him. And yes, Sauce Gardner has to make that pick. It would have been a pick six. He told us afterwards he was thinking touchdown before he even caught it. So give him credit for at least being honest. Cool moment after the game, and this was caught by NFL Films, which was uh, showed it on Inside the NFL. Uh, Gardner and Dak Prescott talking after the game, and Gardner uh, admitting what he admitted to the media, that he was trying to score the touchdown before they caught the ball, and Prescott telling Gardner on the field after the game that they were purposely trying to avoid him because they considered him the best player on defense. I thought that exchange was interesting. Now, Wilson, Zach we're talking about, he's not the kind of quarterback who can elevate the people around him. That's just who he is. We've seen it for two-plus years 
That's only very few quarterbacks have that ability. Rodgers would have been one of those. With Zach, the people around him have to elevate him, and that didn't happen. The run game was atrocious in this game. How does Brees Hall have only four carries? I, I don't understand how that happens. It's not acceptable. Uh, I don't think he should have been tweeting about it afterwards. I'm not okay with that, but he's not wrong. Nathaniel Hackett had a very interesting game plan here. He was at 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers, 72% of the time. That's basically the Jets' base offense. They ran their base offense. I thought he would go to more two and three tight ends to try to provide more pass protection, a little more oomph in the running game. But they used multiple tight ends on only 10 plays. I thought that was weird. So essentially, he was trying to beat them with their perimeter people and using five-man protections which might have been good for Aaron Rodgers, who can diagnose quickly and get rid of the ball quickly, but that's not good for Zach Wilson. I would have liked to have seen more of a ground-and-pound approach, more double-teaming on Micah Parsons. Poor Dwayne Brown. Guy's 30 years old. He missed camp, so he's obviously rusty. He was singled up on Parsons for half of Parsons' pass-rushing attempts. I think he rushed 29 times. About half the times Dwayne Brown was singled up an arguably the best pass rusher in the league. I went through the video. I checked every snap. I know it. They should have adjusted. There's an old Bill Parcells saying, how many times do you need to get hit in the face with a skunk before you realize it stinks? I think the Jets could have applied that in this Dallas game. It was a tough spot for the Jets. It was a short week, a road game, a dramatic change at quarterback. It was the Dallas home opener, so there were a lot of things stacked against him. That's why I thought Dallas would win. Good lesson for the Jets. It was a non-conference loss, so it doesn't hurt them. Now they get a chance to get back to a regular week of practice, a chance to regroup, a chance to get back to reality and focus on the Patriots, a game they cannot lose. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're joined now by former Jets defensive lineman Paul Fraze. And for those who remember Paul, he was a sixth-round draft pick in 1988. He played for the Jets for a long time, from 88 to 94. Went to the Jaguars, also played with the Packers and Ravens. Um, you know, he's a good friend. We've stayed in touch over the years. And uh, he has now co-authored a book, which is called uh, Game Changer. It's about the incredibly um, inspirational and uh, sad story of his son, Joshua, who passed away a couple of years ago. And we're going to get into that a little bit. I know that's near and dear, obviously, to Paul. And Paul, thank you so much for taking some time. We really appreciate it. It is so awesome to be on your show and uh, talk Jets stuff and uh, and uh, life, right? Every, everything is good. And uh and we're, we're excited for uh, things to come. You played in a very interesting time in Jet history. Uh, you, you were drafted by Joe Walton as head coach. 
played under Bruce Coslett, even got a little uh, year under Pete Carroll. So it was a very interesting time. The team had some success. What are your most vivid memories from that time with the Jets? I remember the fans were, they were so awesome. They they would gear up for every year and they would stick with us and until the bitter end. Uh, and we we did have a couple uh, glowing moments, which was was nice, but uh, not enough of them. That's for sure. Uh, so yeah, I, I had I had three different experiences, very different experiences coming in with a coach that uh, uh, had kind of worn out his tenure, and then another coach who we. We almost, you know, with Bruce Kozla, we almost uh, broke the ice and uh, and uh, carried it into the playoffs. We uh, we had one wild card game, I believe, and then of course Pete Carroll and man, that you know that uh, that game against the uh, the Dolphins and winner winner takes all during the middle middle of the season, right? And uh, that was an unfortunate loss. You know, I don't know if you remember this. This is like my first like vivid memory of you with the Jets. Uh, in the 88th season, you were just a rookie, and early in the year, it was just a few games into the year, Mark Gastineau retires in the middle of the season, and suddenly you become, like, elevated to a starting role or a significant role, and I just remember one day outside the locker room, you know, you're this wide-eyed rookie, and all of a sudden there's this huge throng of media just surround you and are asking you questions you know, because you have to replace, you know, Mark Gastineau. Do you remember that? And what was it like oh, when Gastineau walked away and you had to step in? Oh, oh, yes, I remember that. I remember him leaving in, in the first, very first scrimmage in training camp against the Washington Redskins, the Super Bowl champion Washington Redskins. And I had made my way from number seven to number two behind Mark. And uh, all of a sudden I was thrust into, you know, playing against the starting uh, right tackle of the uh, Super Bowl champions, and that was a thrill. And then Mark leaving in the middle of the season, yeah, it was. Uh, I was a. It was you know th thrown from the pan into the fire, I guess as you would say that. And uh, that was, the frying uh, pan into the fire. <laughs> yeah, that was a fire there for sure. You know, very controversial move by Gastineau, and uh, I wanted it, you got married in the early 90s i want to say maybe 92 and it was like you practiced football that day right didn't you have a football practice and you got we, paid how to go to your wedding uh, allison and i wanted to do it the right way but we feel, felt that we were you know we were the ones for each other and, and we chose the bye week and bruce calls it we had practice on the day of our wedding and uh bruce let me uh, get in, get off the field 30 minutes early. And then I come out of the shower and the guys were all in there. And I remember putting my, uh, my, uh, my pants on for my tuxedo and then pushing, putting my foot in my shoe and Dennis Bird had, uh, filled my shoe with shaving cream and the whole locker room, you know, had a laugh on my expense. But, uh, yeah, that, that was Dennis, right? Yeah. Go, you know, uh, may you rest in peace. The great Dennis Bird, uh, you know, so you—that's hard to believe. So you're actually getting into a tuxedo in a in a football locker room. That's that's quite a yeah. sight. <laughs> it was, <laughs> and the le the lemo was waiting, and I think Pickel and Kyle Clifton had a limousine with, and their their wives are waiting as well. So we we ran off to the city and we did that. It's an awesome story. Uh, I just you guys went through something 
in the AFC East then that I think the current Jets are going through. They play the Patriots on Sunday. They've lost 14 in a row to the Patriots. Jet fans know this all too well. Back in your day with the Jets, it was the Buffalo Bills. They had your number. You guys lost nine straight from 87 to 92. And, I mean, that was a great Buffalo team. I mean, it had a lot of future Hall of Famers. What was it like time after time going against an arch rival and not breaking through during that losing streak? It was frustrating. I mean, I mean, the very first game against Buffalo that I experienced was a Monday night game, and it was we were we were down like thirty-eight to nothing at halftime, and I think that's the year that they outlawed uh, beer on Monday nights in, in Jets Stadium. But uh, but um, it was frustrating. We had a few very close encounters, and we tried our hardest. And uh, but Jim and the Jim Kelly and the boys, they had a powerful offense, and they just. Uh, they ate us up, uh, you know, year after year, really. And uh, but we we finally we finally got them. We had some inspiration, of course, uh, the, the 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 day that we finally got them up in uh, Buffalo, right? So yeah, that was a long drought, that's for sure. And of course, the inspiration you were referring to is 1992, the week after Dennis Bird suffered his tragic neck injury. And to me, to this day, it's one of the greatest games I've ever covered, even though it was a meaningless game in the standings for the Jets. The Jets go up to Buffalo. You're a 17-point underdog facing the mighty Bills. And maybe you could, the Jets win the game 24-17. You had a ton of guys who were out with injuries, but you still prevailed against Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Bruce Smith. What was that like? Because I know the Dennis story was very inspirational for you guys. Very, very inspirational. And, and the, one of the biggest things that day of that game, Leon Hess, Mr. Hess, the owner of the Jets, came into our locker room before that, before the game and he said, don't you worry about Dennis Bird and his family. They will be taken care of. You guys just, just get on that field and play some good Jets football. And uh, that was like, wow. And I had unfortunately been involved with the Daryl Singley up in the you know Foxborough and he kind of got left behind, you know, when he when he uh, was paralyzed, and just hearing the head, the 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 owner of the team saying, "Hey, I've got Dennis and his family. You guys, you guys can uh, go to work." Yeah, and that was just uh, like the Jets had no business winning that game because those Bills were going to a Super Bowl, and you guys pulled off, you know, in my opinion, just an incredibly. Uh, emotional upset, uh, and that was uh, such a cool, such a cool event to be to be at, um, and that ended that long losing streak. So we'll see how the Jets do this week uh, against the, the Patriots. I want to uh, flash forward to current events now. You are a co-author. You co-authored Game Changer with your ex-wife Allison Rocket, and it's about your late son Joshua. And this is, uh, I know we've talked over the years about Joshua. Maybe for those who aren't familiar, you can just fill us in on the background, uh, the disease that he, he battled, you know, heroically for so many years. Right. Uh, he When he was born in 1995, when I was still a Jet, uh, before that expansion draft where I was picked number six by the Jag- Jaguars, um, he was born and he we found out he was one of 55 known cases in the world with a very severe muscle disorder. And we found out only 50% of these, these kids make it past 18 months of age. So we, we were obviously fighting the clock 
and uh, and we we had to we you know Allison was a was a Long Island girl, a New York girl with a lot of chutzpah, and I was like, just tell me how to keep my son alive. And uh, and Allison's like, hey, let's start this foundation. We got a foundation going. We started funding research up at Harvard and Boston Children's. And just it was a miraculous story. We know now, though, there's about five to eight thousand kids out there with it. Joshua passed 40 days shy of his 16th birthday. National Honor Society student, just a brilliant, funny, wonderful kid. The book is about hope. It's about love and it's about inspiration. And, and we can all use some of that in, in today's day and age. That's for, that's for sure. But uh, we have some wonderful, wonderful, miraculous things that have taken place through the research. We have had a, a couple of tragedies, but uh, we are still fighting for these children. We always we say always for the children. And what we do is always for the children. Now, when Joshua was born and diagnosed with that, um, correct me if I'm wrong, there were, the doctors really didn't give him much of a chance to live very long, correct? I mean, they could have they could have been brief, but yet he lasted, like you said, he, he survived beating the odds for almost 16 years. Uh, how was he able to do it? And, and just what was it like emotionally? Because you were still playing. You know, you were an active player. And I can't even imagine being able to concentrate on, on my livelihood while having that personal tragedy going on at the same time. The doctor came in that delivered Joshua into the recovery room. Joshua had been whisked away and they were working on him. And the doctor came back about 45 minutes and said, we are terribly sorry. Joshua has a disorder and he might, he probably will not survive the day. So that was our start. That was the start to our, uh, you know, it, it was it was a shock. And um, and Joshua did survive the day, and he made it through the second day and the third day. And we knew that we had to make a difference somehow in the lives of these kids. Um, so uh, and and you were you were talking about yeah, focusing and concentrating. I I was really ready. I mean, I got drafted by the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, probably two weeks after Joshua was born. And, um, he, uh, I, I was kind of like, really, I, I want to figure out how to just keep my son alive and, and, and figure out his life. And I, I didn't have the fire. I, but Allison and I discussed, you know, some very serious things about, you know, insurance. Uh, we needed the insurance and, uh, so I went back to work and uh, I, I played for another three years and uh, before the NFL kicked me out, which they kicked most of us out. Right. But uh, but um, yeah, we 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 uh, just uh, did what we could use the NFL platform. A lot of the guys that I played with were just fantastic in, in, in uh, joining us to raise a bunch of money. We raised about seven million over uh, 12 years and, uh, and, uh, the research went so well, the NIH started kicking in. And, um, so we went into clinical trials in 2017, September of 2017, and they're still in clinical trials. So, uh, it is, has been quite a journey. Yes. Joshua was very, he, you know, I, I know, I always say he had a purpose period. And I know the first three, few years of his life, he was so fragile 
Uh, I know Elsie, uh, my mother-in-law, Allison's mother, and Allison were the only two people that could keep him alive. They 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 gave their lives up um, to for his uh, survival. And of course, uh, you know, I, I was working and and uh, you know playing football and so on and so forth. But uh, and uh, we we just we made a team and we we did what we could to uh, make a positive influence and bring a positive influence to these kids. Book, how did that idea come about? Was that a long time in the making? And what was the inspiration behind Game Changer? I had personally been writing excerpts probably for the past 18 to 20 years. And I really, you know, I was thinking I like to write and I, I wanted to just capture Joshua's story. And uh, and I was going to call it let, Letters from a Father, but you know, during the course research and everything, this was a story that both parents had to tell because both parents have different perspectives and, you know, people grieve differently. Even though you're married, you're a married couple, you, you grieve completely differently. Um, you, you deal with, uh, you deal with stress differently. And, uh, it was, it was a story, um, that we needed to tell together and needed to show again the, the hope, the love, and the inspiration that comes with a dev- devastating disorder like this. And uh, these kids have so much to offer and so much to give. And that's what we want people to, uh, you know, get from this book. You know, you, you just understand how much these kids have to have to offer, and what a difference that you can make just leaning down to a kid in a wheelchair and talking to them for just a minute, just acknowledging that you see them. And, uh, so it, it's a uh, hope, love, and inspiration. Paul, could you, in layman's terms, could you explain or describe just how myotubular myopathy affects the body? Basically the striated muscle muscles are very, very weak. They do not, about 35% of the muscle cells do not mature or correctly. And they're missing a small enzymatic protein that uh, really uh, helps with contraction of the muscle cell. So they are very, very weak, thin, frail, fragile. Most of them, and I've only seen a couple that walk. Most of them are uh, uh, on on gurneys or in wheelchairs. Um, basically, all of them. Joshua was not, but most of them are on ventilators ventilator to dependent and again they uh, only half of these kids make it to, to 18 months of life so they can't eat they on their own they can't walk they can't can't crawl they can't hold their heads up um and they they're very 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 weak now we've we've had some wonderful uh it, 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 it's a myriad of um of severities and some kids have been able to uh you know, ride the mowing, the, the lawnmower, they're in a wheelchair, but they can get on the lawnmower and mow the yard, right? Or, or drive a boat. Uh, some kids are, are completely, uh, you know, lay, laying in a gurney. The last five years of Joshua's life, he uh, was, uh, I think you call it ambulatory. He was, he was, we would push him around a, on a gurney or uh, I would pull him around in a wagon. And he, and he made the honor society. That's, inc- that's, uh, that's yeah. uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, I didn't even know how to make than that. That I didn't even know how to make it. 
Yeah, that's a great story. Tell uh, tell our listeners uh, about yeah. the foundation uh, and I, also where they could uh, want to get a hold of your book, a Game Changer. Um, you can absolutely, I mean, it's real easy. Amazon, Paul Fraze, Game Changer, or Google Amazon, Allison Rocket, two Ts, Game Changer. And it will come right up. And then uh, the foundation, we are still working you know, hard to, for these kids and for these families. It's joshuaphrase.org. And you we made it really, really simple. Please donate.org. Please donate.org. Donate that will bring you to the website and you can see the most comprehensive website in the world regarding an orphan disease called myotubular myopathy. And uh, I encourage you, you know, you know, to, to go to the website. And uh, we, there was only three medical articles written when Joshua was born, and two were from 1967 from a doctor in New York City. Now there's over like 500 articles, and the Joshua Phrase Foundation has been listed in about 300 of these articles. And so we, we really, we say that, we don't brag, but we say that to for people to understand their money, their dollars, their hard-earned dollars that they no donate have, have gone to make a change, have gone to change the research of neuromuscular uh, um, research, you know, the history of neuromuscular research. So you're making a difference. And, uh, you know, we, we obviously uh, re appreciate anything in uh, prayers, and, and uh, monetary donations and so on and so forth. Well, you know, what started out as a, as a heartbreaking, very sad story, of course, has turned into an inspirational story with uh, a lot of hope. So you're doing great work with the foundation. And, you know, um, I mean, Godspeed. I mean, that's uh, it's wonderful to hear that you're turning this into into something positive and maybe could impact the lives of others. And so that's great. Uh, Paul was always one of my favorites, maybe because we both went to Syracuse. Maybe that was the start of, I think, you know, having that orange bond probably had something to do with it. But uh, always remember Paul as being a good guy in the locker room, always a stand-up guy, and uh, wish you nothing but the best. And thank you so much for taking the time to come on Flight Deck. Thank you so much, Rich. And I, I do appreciate the opportunity. And thank you so much for, for the years of support, you know, through, throughout the foundation's uh, existence. So thank you. You bet. Take care, Paul. Questions and answers at Vincent J. Accardi. Why is the Jets coaching staff stubborn to make changes? Now, Vin lists a couple of suggestions here. I'll take one of them. How about Sauce Gardner traveling to cover the number one wide receiver? I know this is a talking point now among fans. That's just not their philosophy. The Jets are a zone-based team. In fact, I believe they led the league in zone coverage last season. You can't play zone if you have a guy traveling, a particular receiver. So it's just not their philosophy. Look, this worked fine last year with the two corners playing sides. And besides, DJ Reed's a good corner. So I do not see the Jets using that technique. Next one, at Saunders Clark. And his question is, we need pass blocking. Ruckert was ranked number one as the tight end for blocking in week one. Why did he get only six snaps against Dallas? 
excellent question. And I think that was magnified on the first play from scrimmage. C.J. Ozama whiffed on his block, and Brees Hall was dropped for a loss of four. That should have sent a signal right there to Nathaniel Hackett to put Ruckert in the game. Didn't understand some of this game plan this week. Didn't understand why Ruckert only played a handful of snaps. Uh, I'll certainly ask that this week when we talk to the coaches, but that is a very, very good question. At Yankees Jets 23-10, are the Jets stacked enough as a team that they can afford to have their top two picks from the draft as healthy inactives? And he's, of course, referring to Will McDonald, who was inactive, and Joe Tipman, who was active. He was in uniform. He just didn't play, except a couple of times on special teams. But a good question. Now, the McDonald one surprised me a little bit because you just don't see teams sitting, scratching number one draft picks when they're healthy. McDonald is a one-trick pony. He's an undersized pass rusher. They felt that they wanted their big people in this game, so Lawson dressed for this game. Lawson will continue to dress. They're not going to sit a Carl Lawson on the bench. The only way McDonald can get in is if maybe they go against more of a finesse offense and they could use McDonald, who's only about 240 pounds. Now, this week, the Patriots are more of a physical downhill running team, so I suspect it might be the same rotation again. And uh, Tipman... We're going to get to that one in a second. At Donnie Baker 3, everyone knows the struggles on the left side of the offensive line. Is there a thought to moving Becton back to left tackle and bringing in Tipman to play center or guard? I would not put Tipman at center this week. First of all, it's too early to pull a plug on Conor McGovern. And secondly, would you want a center playing in front of a still relatively inexperienced quarterback going against a Belichick coach defense? That's a recipe for disaster. I would not put Tipman at center. Could they move Becton to left tackle? They're not going to pull the plug on Dwayne Brown this early. The coaching staff believes in him too much. Uh, There were some concerning parts in last week's game, no doubt. I also think the coaching staff still doesn't have 100% trust in Makai Becton. So I think they'll probably leave the line the same way this week and give him another chance, but I do think that Tipman is getting closer to playing. I I do know that for a fact. I think he's closing the gap a little bit, perhaps at left guard for Tomlinson, maybe at some point at center for McGovern. Don't think they're going to go there yet. Uh, We'll see on Sunday against the Patriots. Next, um, at Matt Romano, 19. The offense seems to be putting an extra effort to support Zach Wilson in the locker room. How do you feel the offensive morale is? And do you think it will last if Zach has a few more rough outings? I think the morale is still high. It was only one bad game. And I think they're still a rallying around Zach Wilson because, A, he's their only option at this point. They've only played two games. And, B, I think the Rodgers effect is still working here. And I alluded to this last week in the podcast. The fact that Rodgers showed so much of an interest in Wilson taking him in under his wing I think that sent a message to the rest of the locker room to believe in this guy. It's like Aaron believes in him. We can believe in him too. And I think the fact that Rodgers is going to be back in the building, I would think within a week or two, is also going to help Zach Wilson standing, having that guy in his corner in the building. Uh, But yeah, I mean, if he has a few more rough outings, then I think people will start to wonder, perhaps even start to grumble a little bit. 
Uh, next one from at Scott Metz Cutie. Why do the Jets run to the left way more than the right, even though ABT and Becton seem like far superior run blockers on the right side? Well, I looked at the numbers, as I always do, and it's close to an even split right now. Uh, if you look at the runs, combined runs with Dalvin Cook and Brees Hall, 17 to the left, 14 to the right. So, yes, you are correct. It's a little more to the left. That could be because of matchups, strength of the defense. There's always a lot of things that go into that. I think it's too small of a sample size right now to draw any conclusions. But I will note that that Brees Hall 83-yard run against Buffalo was an inside right run behind ABT and Beckton. Had to put that one in there. And next one from at Starks93. Could Joe Douglas be waiting on a particular quarterback? to become available before the deadline. Maybe the quarterback in question, his team told the Jets, call us back in a month. Quite possible. I know he's working the phones. As I told you last week, I think they wanted to get Brett Rippon. Not a sexy name, but he was on the Rams practice squad. I think the Jets were hoping to sign him to their 53. He got promoted to the Rams 53. The Jets are still looking, as Robert Sala said on Monday. Doesn't think they'll sign a quarterback this week. So, yes, it's quite possible they are waiting another month or so before the trading deadline. Look, no one's trading their number two quarterback right now. I've heard Andy Dalton mentioned on the radio. I've heard Jameis Winston. Those teams aren't trading those guys. It's too early in the season. Got to let the season play out, see how the landscape changes. Trading deadline, October 31st. If the Jets are still searching for a quarterback, still with concerns over Wilson, then maybe they make a move then. Okay, let's dive into it. Patriots at Jets, 1 o'clock MetLife Stadium. The Patriots are 0-2. They've lost to two really good teams, Philly and Miami. The Jets have played really two good teams in Dallas and Buffalo, giving the Jets an edge here, but two things have to happen. Number one, they have to defend the quick game better than they did in the Dallas game. Max Jones is the dink and dunk king. If the Jets don't tighten their coverage, he's going to pick them apart. He'll nickel and dime them up and down the field. Belichick will go to school on the Jets' defense and how they played against Dallas. And so the Jets just have to tighten up and be a little more aggressive in their coverage and just be more aggressive. Absolutely. Let your corners play. There is no one on the New England perimeter that should scare the Jets. Their receivers are pedestrian. Their tight ends are pretty decent. Hunter Henry and Mike Gesicki, okay, they're solid. Running game has been substandard so far. The Jets' defense, I think, will have a rebound performance this week. The other thing is Zach Wilson. It's like a house of horrors when he plays New England. He's 0-4. He's got two touchdown passes, seven interceptions, and one post-game faux pas that in some ways he might be still recovering from. And you know I'm referring to his post-game press conference after his awful performance last year in Foxborough, him not taking any responsibility for the loss after the game. He got benched a few days later, did not sit well with the locker room. Really, really not a good thing for his career. Put his leadership under the spotlight. And like I said, in some ways he still might be trying to repair the damage from that. If he plays a strong mental game, and I liked the way he played mentally against Dallas. I thought he hung tough against 
in some tough circumstances. If he can bring that mentality to this New England game and not let little mistakes bother him and play smart and play tough, I think the Jets will win this game. So I'm going to pick the Jets in a low-scoring game, 19-17. to Won't be pretty, but I think the Jets will prevail. The streak will end at 14. It won't get to 15. Let's see if I'm right. I'm 2-0 picking Jet games so far. We're going to have, it's going to be a fascinating, fascinating game on Sunday. I want to thank Paul Fraze, former Jet defensive lineman, for stopping by and sharing his emotional story of Joshua. And once again, the book is called Game Changer. You should go out and get it. It's really, really emotional and inspirational. want to thank my producer, Jeff Scopin, for putting it all together. And we'll talk to you next week on Flight Deck. Flight Deck.